Well, if you were with us last week, you know we finished up our series on uh, essentials for families, the, the disciplines and practices that should characterize our life and our families and our church. And we are transitioning over the coming weeks to a series on biblical finance. Now, for some of you, that's probably not as exciting. Um, maybe for all of us, that sounds not as exciting. It's like, oh, the spiritual things that should characterize our life. And now we're just going to talk about money. Well, we're not going to talk all about money. And we do want to continue to think about this from a, a biblical and spiritual perspective because it is that. It's, it's something that we need to think about the way God has called us to. It's also a, a, a appropriate for us to talk about this and to think about this in the context of family because, as, as you probably know, one of the most common causes of conflict in marriage is money. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of you have ever gotten into an argument with your spouse regarding something related to money, but if we were honest, probably all of our hands would go up. You know, sometimes it's conflict that comes not so much from a specific debate or question about money, but maybe just the overall financial stress that we're feeling. And so we get irritable and we take that out on one another. Sometimes it has more to do maybe with the background of how we were raised or how our family functioned as opposed to how our spouse's family functioned. And now we're trying to come together in how we're going to function and, and we have different perspectives on that. Sometimes it's disagreement on what to spend the money on or who gets to decide. You know, do we do a vacation or do we get a, a different car? Do we eat out or play golf? Sometimes it's Differences in philosophy about money. Somebody who's more wired to save or somebody who's more wired to give or to spend. And so the conflict that comes in those things. Well, most of those conflicts stem from not being on the same page about the use of money. So the question is, whose page should we get on? Is it that well, the, the wife should simply submit to her husband's leadership in that area. Or is it that the husband should simply sacrificially love his wife and so defer to her on all of those decisions? Well, there, there's some truth to both of those realities that should happen in our marriage. But the first step to work to get on the same page is to make sure that we are both thinking about things from God's perspective. That we're on His page together and then working through the specific details for our family. You know, the Bible speaks to our finances. There's thousands of verses in the Scriptures that refer to money, sometimes specific principles, sometimes in more of an illustration or in a narrative context, but there's lots in the Bible about money. And so we want to think about money from a biblical perspective starting tonight and then moving from tonight, really laying a foundation of how we think about it to some of the specific things that the Scripture says about how we should use the money that God has entrusted to us. Now, to make the most of this study, let me encourage you to do a couple things. One is to come regularly, and if you can't be here, to listen online. Another is to actually talk about these things with your spouse after the fact. So if you just come and listen and you don't talk about these things after the fact, you will likely have some impact in your thinking, but you won't make any real 
tangible, long-term changes in how you function as a family. I'll also give you some, some practical things to do. Some of them will be more specific than others, um, but would encourage you to do those things. Some of that is, is, will come in the coming weeks um, as you make the most of these things. So tonight we're going to begin looking at the big picture of what the Bible says about money. We're going to kind of do a flyover of the forest before we focus in on some specific trees. You know, if you think about what the keys are to managing your money well, to having unity in your marriage regarding finances, you know, you might come up with some specific things like having a budget is helpful, and that's true, we'll talk about that, or having self-control or getting out of debt or making sure we're saving a certain amount. You know, or maybe you could think the opposite way. What would, what would be some of the biggest mistakes people make in managing their finances or the biggest challenges we face? But the reality is, if you have the most healthy financial picture of anybody in this room in terms of your income and expenses and plan for saving and all these other things, you still may be missing the primary thing God's Word says about money. We're going to see tonight that if we're going to manage our finances well, we must live in light of the fact first that God has entrusted money and possessions to us to faithfully use as His stewards for His glory and kingdom. As we consider this foundational reality, let's begin considering God's role in our finances. See, it's easy to think about money apart from God. Most people do. Many Christians think of it more in percentages. They think, okay, you know, maybe 10% of what I have is God's, and that's His, and 90% of this is therefore mine to do with as we choose and as we desire. That's not the picture that the Scriptures want us to have. Consider first the fact that God is the owner of all. When you think of your finances, you need to recognize God is actually the owner of everything. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm 104 says, the, How many are your works, O Lord? The earth is full of your possessions. Or think of Haggai 2.8, not a, a book that we, we read a lot or quote a lot, but he, he speaks to the nation of Israel and says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, God owns everything. There's no such thing, really, as my money. Now, there is in the, the sense of, of relative to possession compared to other humans, but in, in a big picture sense, the question is not what does God want me to do with my money, the question is, what does God want me to do with His money that He has entrusted to us? We need to recognize God is the owner of all. And secondly, God's the provider of all. You see, God is the one who gives us the things that we need. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29. The people were bringing offerings for the temple and 
And in verse 10, David is praying and it says, He blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And he said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. And he says this, verse 12, Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. He, he says, everything that we have, that the riches of this life come ultimately from God. God is the one who provides, and He's promised to provide for us the things that we need. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't worry, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need the, all these things. Philippians 4.19 says God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God provides what we need. Notice that's not everything we want, right? He doesn't say, yeah, you know, it's like a, a genie, you get three wishes, you know, and I'll give you whatever it is that you want. But he does provide what we need, and we are to be content with what he provides. First Timothy 6 8 says, If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Now, how does God normally provide the things that we need? Well, obviously, there's times in, in the Old Testament, for example, where he rained down manna from heaven, and he provided in a miraculous way for what the people needed. But the, the normal means of which God provides is through the ability to work. That's one of the things that Scripture teaches us. He, he's given us the power, Deuteronomy 8.18 says, to make wealth. He's given us the ability to work and therefore to have the things that we need, but we recognize that even in that, it's the provision of God. You see, we usually think, oh, and my kids have this perspective. They're, they're very good at helping me to see how I think, that I, but I just don't recognize it as clearly in myself. You know, where they, they do something and they earn a little bit of money, and now they think, like, I, this is all mine, and I, I, I get to do whatever I want with it. But we think that way. I worked. I got paid. I earned this. It's mine. I get to do whatever it is. We forget the fact that actually God's the one who provides both the gifts and the opportunity and the ability to work in order to have whatever it is that we have earned or whatever we have had uh, provided through that. So God gives us the ability. He gives us the gifts. He gives us the energy to do those things. And he says we are to receive those things knowing he has provided them for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 puts it this way. It says, even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. So this doesn't mean the fact that God provides that we sit back and say, woohoo, kick back. God's going to provide waiting for the manna to come into the fridge so that we can eat tomorrow. No, we, we recognize God provides and he does give us opportunity to work. So God is the owner of all. He's the provider of all. And He's ultimately in control of all. We saw this even in the verse in 1 Chronicles that we read that His is the dominion over all. God is the one who rules over all. Deuteronomy, or Daniel 
4.35 says that um, He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off His hand. You see, in the midst of finance, in the midst of, of, of the, the financial challenges of life, sometimes God is simply working to put us in a position to grow and trust Him in the midst of circumstances that He has sovereignly brought into our life. It's not that you aren't trying. It's not that you aren't striving to be faithful. It's just He says, you know what? I'm going to use a difficult trial in your life for your good. God is sovereign over those things to use them for our good. Paul says in Philippians 4 that because of this confidence that God is in control, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. If I've got a lot... I, I can be content in that. If I've got a little, I can be content in those things because I trust God's wisdom and God's provision for me. So God plays a key role in our finance. We need to remember He is sovereign and He is the one who owns it all. He is the one who provides it for us. We give Him the praise and we recognize He is ultimately the one who it belongs to. But we do have a responsibility, secondly, our responsibility for our finance. Turn to Luke 16. Luke 16. And this is the primary idea that I want you to walk away from tonight thinking about as you consider the use of money. Luke 16 is a parable of an unrighteous steward. We don't have time to, to work through the entire parable. But it's a, a guy who... Was, was not godly, and he knew that he was about to be, uh, uh, to be let go. And so he, he went and he made shrewd deals with some of the, the guys that he worked with uh, on behalf of his boss, the guy who was the, the owner of things. And as a result, once he lost that opportunity, he had a lot of friends because he'd done good things to help them. And, and Jesus makes a point of this not to say, hey, conduct yourself that way. This was an unrighteous guy. But he does say the intentionality with which that guy thought about how to, prov uh, to, to anticipate his future needs is how we should think as believers. But that our future is not 10 years from now. It's not you know, next week. Our future is eternity. And so he says this in verse 10 of Luke 16. He says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He says we should be thinking about our future, but that is our future eternity with the Lord. And one of the ways we are faithful now in anticipation of that is how we use the wealth that God has given us. You see, the primary thing that should, should consume our focus when we think about the use of money is this, that we are to be a faithful steward. When we think of a steward, it's not a word we use often, 
you know, probably in our context, the closest analogy that I could give that would resonate is like a babysitter. You know, when you have somebody come to babysit your kids, what are the qualities that you look for in a good babysitter? Well, one of them is probably that they know they're not their kids, they're your kids, right? If you had a babysitter came in and they thought, I'm the mom, I get to make all these decisions. No, you want them to know you're, you're watching these kids, but they're not your kids, they're my kids. And so you're going to do it my way. You're going to think about what I want for them more than what you want for them. You also want that babysitter to be faithful, somebody who's responsible. You know, you want them to show up on time. You want them to be committed to do the things you've asked them to do. You don't want them to leave before you get home, right? You, you want faithfulness. And, and really, that's the picture of what it means to be faithful as a steward of what God has entrusted to us. As a steward, it means, one, that we will follow God's priorities in the use of His money and possessions. It means we're going to say not, what do I want to do with this? We're going to say, what, what would God have me to do with this? Because whose is it? It's God's. He's the owner of it all. And so I want to use this in a way that honors Him and that reflects how He wants that to be done. Just like you don't want your babysitter saying, you know what, I'm watching this kid, and when I'm a mom, I think I'd let him watch the, all these movies, so I'm going to let him watch all these movies. When you're like, oh, they're my kids, and I don't want them to watch those movies. No, you want that babysitter to do the things that you want done. We should follow God's priorities in the use of his money and possessions, and you want them to be faithful. So a second reality of this is that we should carefully manage the use of his money and possessions. We want to be a faithful steward who says we want to do it God's way because it's His, and we want to be faithful to manage it well on His behalf. God has entrusted uh, to us a certain amount of money and possessions, both now and in the future, and we have the privilege of using those on His behalf. We're going to talk more about what that looks like, more about the priorities God's given us. Now you know if you've read the Bible, there's not a real detailed specific budget that the Scriptures give us. And so you have a lot of decisions to make as you consider how do we honor the Lord in the use of that which He has given us. And God is not stingy. He's not saying, hey, you don't get to enjoy the world I made. No, He, he wants us to, to do those things. And we'll talk more about that. But we need to have the mindset that says, this is not mine to do with as I please. This is God's to do with as He pleases. And it's my joy to be faithful as a steward in that way. So we need to recognize God's role in our finances and our responsibility for our finances. And, and thirdly, I want us just to think briefly about some biblical warnings regarding our finances. The Scriptures give us some specific warnings especially about our hearts and money, but beyond that as well, that, that frame how we should think in this way. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We, we saw it already in Luke 16, but we see it even more clearly in, in Matthew 6. We see a warning about serving money rather than God. Serving money rather than God. Matthew 6, 19 says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, 
but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if the eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You see, you and I have a fundamental decision to make when it comes to what we will serve in this life. Will we serve God or will we serve money? Now, it's interesting that he uses this, this phraseology of serving. What, what does it mean to serve someone? Well, one context is, is like a waiter serving your table, doing good to someone else. But the picture here is that of being uh, being a, uh, mastered by something. He says you can't have two masters. You can't have two things that are, or two people that are telling you ultimately what to do. Whenever there's conflict between the two, one of them is going to win. One of them will be the ultimate master. And he says you can't serve, you can't have as your master both God and money. Why do you know if you're serving money, if money's your master, rather than God? Well, if you make decisions based purely on the financial implications, rather than considering God's will and priorities for your life, you are being mastered by money. You are making those decisions the ultimate authority, or money the ultimate authority. Or if you're primarily focused on building your own wealth, rather than building Christ's kingdom, you are serving money rather than God. We need to guard against that to say, what is, who, who is my master? Is it God or is it money? Is it wealth? We need to be careful that we are not serving money rather than God. Second warning Scripture gives is of loving money rather than God. This is related to the first, but it's a little bit distinct. Hebrews 13.5 says this. It says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. And it helps us to see the, the opposite of that. What does it look like to, to, to practice this in a godly way? Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. He says our character should be free from the love of money. Again, think about that phrase a little bit. Think about what it looks like to, to love something. It's, it's the idea of, of desiring it strongly, of being consumed by it, of having that as your focus. The opposite of that is to be content with what you have. Doesn't mean you never think about money. Doesn't mean you don't spend five weeks at foundations talking about it and trying to use it well. But it means that's not your focus. Your consuming passion is not money. Your consuming passion is the Lord. And so you are content. Why? Because God says, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You always have God. If you are a believer, that cannot be taken away from you, and that's enough. And so if you have more money, if you have a nicer car, a nicer house, great, use it for the Lord. If you don't, you still have God, and that's enough. So we are to be free from the love of money. 
And, and the reality is, if we're not, it leads to all sorts of things in our life. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It doesn't say money is, but the love of money. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. Again, that's that idea of loving money is longing for it, being so consumed with it. And he says it leads to all sorts of evil. You can probably think of a number of sins that can flow out of the love of money. You know, the, th- the sins of, of covetousness the, and, and being discontent. Sins of stealing. Sins of, of murder to get something from someone else. You know, so many people are tempted, all of us are tempted to, to compromise our integrity in various ways in the pursuit of more money if we are consumed with that. We need to guard against the love of money, the desire for it to be consumed by it. Seeking satisfaction in money, which often betrays a third reality, that of trusting money rather than God. Turn to Job chapter 31. This is a great, a great passage that I want you to, to see. Job 31 verse 24 It says this, if I have put my confidence in gold and called fine gold my trust, if I have gloated because my wealth was great and because my hand had secured so much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon going in splendor and my heart became secretly enticed and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth, that too would have been an iniquity calling for judgment for I would have denied God above.